Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast Episode 79, Podcast Episode 69, for the week ending April 23rd, 2021. And as always, we'll kick it off with the media spots, cover a lot of key points in a short amount of time, and then get down to the uh, meat and potatoes of this week's episode. So first, I'd like to thank David Lynn and uh, Michelle McQuarrie for having me on Kitco News, which was my first time. Uh, they're a big metals dealer, and I know Michelle from when she ran uh, content over at I-24 News. She made the move to Kitco. She said, uh, why don't you come on? I said, I, I'm not really a metals guy. And she said, no, we'll do a global macro segment for you. And it was just great. Over 50,000 views. They have such a huge audience. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, so I want to thank David and uh, David Lynn and Michelle McQuarrie over at Kitco for having me on. So we covered quite a lot. This was a long form interview. I don't do many of them. I did. I do um, for CNBC Indonesia usually once every month or two. A big uh, half hour on uh, emerging markets and commodities and that type of thing. But um, uh, this was a great experience. And you know, I'll touch on some of the key themes. I know many of you watched this, but it, it, it bears uh, covering some of the highlights. Um, you know, first, obviously, the bad news is it's harder to find value in this market up 85 some odd percent off the March lows. The good news is there is still selective opportunity. There's cash on the sidelines. Institutions have been net sellers. Um, retail flows have been higher, but that hasn't really worked as a good contra indicator of late. Um, and then we see naturally the deaths declining, the seven day moving average, the Vaccinations uh, topping three, you know, hit four million in a day, three million a day average, 40% of the population uh, fully vaccinated, uh, and a lot, a lot of good things happening. Um, you know, ordinarily on such a dramatic move, there would be an inclination to get extremely defensive or, or bearish, and it, it, you know, it's tough to do so when you have a situation where we had a 3.5% GDP contraction last year, which is 750 billion, but we've already done 5.3 trillion in fiscal stimulus, 4 trillion in balance sheet expansion, money supply up, you know, 27% year on year, another two to three trillion coming in the Green New Deal. And then it looks like another trillion or two coming in this family plan uh, that I'm hearing more and more about uh, in coming weeks, albeit, you know, there's going to be some pay fors with uh, new taxes, uh, which we'll get into that. A lot of people got worried about uh, capital gains taxes for the wealthy. It's it's not going to be as bad as everyone thinks. Uh, so you can just, you know, take a deep breath at the early part of the call. We'll get a little more granular as we go through here. Um, but, you know, with that amount of money in the system, you know, you don't have to think twice. Why are prices doubled at the, at the pump in the last year? Why is there a bidding war if you want to buy a house? No one's buying it at market. It's a question of how much over ask you have to pay. And uh, these are signs, you know, the next thing that everyone's got to be looking for is wage inflation. If you start to see the wage inflation, which you will, there's nothing transient about wage inflation. Wages are sticky. So you want to be in this type of environment. You want to be in assets. If you're in cash, 
um, you know, or uh, you know, bonds largely, uh, it's you're going to have an erosion of wealth. So that's why you're seeing money going to real estate. You're seeing money going to equities. And uh, uh, this week, the top performer was uh, REITs, uh, Real Estate Investment Trust. So you're going to see more and more of that type of uh, behavior because you, you just can't. I mean, certainly you can slow it down by increasing taxes. The corporate tax rate will probably go up to 20 maybe 25 um, worst case 28 and it won't go higher than that but 25 should be the number uh, the capital gains maybe it'll go up to 28 but you know I said um, well, well we'll cover that in a second so um, you know and, and I covered with David last year our we were pounding the table on banks energy and defense and aerospace stocks when when you couldn't give them away uh, now everyone wants them there is room to run for sure uh, we're only one year into the new cycle into the bull market they took a rest in uh, in the last month there are some reasons why it looks like they might start to get bid again um, you know as far as the bank earnings they couldn't have been any better uh, yield curves the steepest in a handful of years they over reserved on the basis of a 20% unemployment assumption it's now a 6% reality they released a ton of those reserves we saw last week uh, and they took up dividend and buyback guidance so uh, everything is in place. Uh, we're also going to see a tremendous rationalization of their operating footprint. JP Morgan says they'll need 60% of the space. Why is that? That number one, they, they realize that they can deliver a lot of their products digitally. People have uh, changed their behaviors. That's number one. Number two, uh, most of the back office can work remotely. And that's going to be a huge boon to uh, efficiency ratios and costs moving forward. So these things are going to be money machines. Uh, they already are. And um, uh, we think, you know, we're overweight in the best best opportunity, which is Wells Fargo uh, moving forward. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, as far as energy, the biggest risk with energy is that uh, we bend over and give Iran everything, in which case they're going to put a lot of supply on the market pretty quickly. But uh, that said, OPEC seems to want to maintain control of things, uh, so they won't be quick to reduce their cuts with Iran coming on, on market. And I think we could get some equilibrium at this price level, which is fantastic for the producers. And what we're seeing in the last 24 hours uh, is obviously this huge push to sell the Climate Action Initiative with uh, 40 global leaders that uh, Biden led uh, the uh, video conference. And what you're seeing is since the election, uh, this is ultimately going to help uh, the existing players left in the oil and gas sector. You know, a number went bankrupt in 2016, number went bankrupt last year. And the ones that are left standing, you know, there'll be a few more that teeter. But, you know, the minute this changed on election day, what we've seen, which is very interesting, is that the energy sector ETF counterintuitively to what most people thought it, the XLE is up 61% since election day uh, you know uh, barely yeah you know five uh, just over five months and um, the biggest clean energy ETF ICLN is up only 22% over the same period Exxon's up 68% since election day Chevron's up 40 ConocoPhillips is up 63 a refiner, Philip 66, is up 62. EOG is up 103%. Um, 
So, you know, they've had a dip in the last four to six weeks, and I think that's that's going to be a tremendous opportunity here as we look out three years later, uh, you know, look out three years, because the key is, you know, the goal here is to kill the fossil fuel industry. The problem is, is the amount of demand that's going to be required in the interim is um, is just staggering. So what's happened in the last five years, there's been no meaningful investment. You're gonna have, um, uh, Biden was talking about hiring people to cap wells and this type of stuff. It's gonna bring the price up. It's gonna allow the remaining producers to mint money. And that money is no longer gonna be uh, shoved back in the ground like, uh, like it was recklessly done so in years past. It's now gonna be returned to shareholders in the form of dividends and buybacks. And my sense is with the nature of the tax code changing, it's gonna be more buybacks than dividends. So you can expect a uh, tremendous amount of appreciation for, for the remaining players. And this is just a tremendous opportunity because um, you know, until uh, the uh, you know until the clean energy initiatives can produce viable energy alternatives at scale, which they're nowhere close to, we're going to be using a ton of oil, and uh, it's it's going to get you know e even as the price continues to go up and up and up, which it which it will. So um, uh, that that's an opportunity. But uh, late. February, early March, we started talking utility staples and pharma. They've had monster moves in the last six weeks, uh, now seven weeks. The laggard was big pharma, which had a huge move in the last week or so. Uh, this was uh, uh, yield-sensitive plays that were um, uh, that had been sold off when the 10-year yield rate of change accelerated dramatically from 100 basis points to 175 basis points in five weeks. We made the call that that was going to moderate. It's done that. It's now back in the 150s to 160s range, and these stocks have taken off. They're now, uh, I think, due for a, a short pause, but the, the nature in the weeks and months forward, I think there's more juice in this trade, uh, probably, you know, 60% done, 50% done. I think it's got a lot of juice. There was some opportunity in uh, Staples this week, which have had big runs. They sold off due to pricing pressures, but that's going to be passed on. So I, I think that's an opportunity, and we topped up a couple of those uh, on, on weakness. So we, we like that. And then the, the thesis, besides all the cash in the system, why you can't get too bearish here, despite the huge move off the lows, is that uh, I, I, my sense is that GDP estimates are too low. At 6% consensus, we think it's going to come in closer to 7 to 9%, maybe even 9.5%. Uh, and earnings are certainly too low. They were at 175 last week. At the time of uh, recording this with uh, with David Lynn, I think it was at 176. It jumped up to 178 midweek, and I think we're a bit higher. We're going to see at the end of this call, the new data is out today. Uh, so I think what you could see is rather than 175 or 178, uh, maybe more you know more likely closer to 190, uh, or even possibly a two-handle for 2021 when that was the estimates for 2022, in which case the multiple is not so outlandish, number one. But number two, you still have to be uh, uh, sh prude, well, shrewd, I guess is the word, 
and look for not chasing the things that are up so much, but actually looking. There are still new, there are existing pockets, which we've jumped on in the last seven weeks, but there are new pockets we're gonna talk about on this call that are, are starting to sprout up. Things that are down 30 plus percent in the last handful of weeks where we think there can be also opportunity moving forward. Lower conviction level and specificity than what we had with utility staples and uh, big pharma. We still like we still like those plays, but I think if you buy baskets of the groups we're going to talk about here, um, even with the lower conviction, you're, you're going to do nicely because they're down enough. Um, and then finally, uh, we talked with David and we, we closed out on some of our, our big picks for Big Pharma, which, uh, which were the laggard at the time, but they've had a huge move in the last seven days since that interview. Uh, we talked to J&J. We said that the sell-off on the vaccine was overdone. It's, it's rallied tremendously. And by the way, after hours tonight, their vaccine got approved, which is what we said would, would happen, either with a label on it or contraindication. But, you know, it was a one-in-a-million event, you know, six people out of 6.8 million. Uh, it'll probably continue. We'll see more people getting clots, but it'll be like, you know, 20 million people vaccinated, a couple hundred people with clots terrible, horrible situation. Uh, but, you know, that's the same with any vaccine. It's no different than adverse uh, events on the flu vaccine. Uh, so, you know, we do do have to keep some of these things in perspective. Um, so uh, so that was that. And, and the other point that I was making with regard to J&J is one, it was oversold on that, but two, it was such a small part of the business. The pharma momentum with Remicade and Stellara uh, is 50% of the sales. Uh, medical devices, a third of the sales, and consumer division, baby oil and Band-Aids is 20% of the sales. Then we were talking Pfizer. Pfizer had a huge move after the interview, uh, up, uh, you know, it was up 10% at the interview. It, it got up close to 20%, trading at 12 times uh, next year's earnings, 14 times historic multiple, 4.2% dividend yield, two and a half times the 10-year yield. Uh, they're going to do uh, 15 billion in sales on vaccines. That was before the booster. Now it could be a lot more than that because they're saying we're going to need a booster in, in six months. And then uh, their blood thinner business, uh, among others, Eliquis is up 17% year on year. And then finally, the big laggard that I think could be a tremendous opportunity in the next uh, four to eight weeks is Novartis. has nothing to do with COVID. It's just a, a play on the second half healthcare normalization when people go back to their doctors. Their Entresto uh, heart failure drug is doing tremendous. Their Cosentix psoriatic arthritis trading at 12 and a half times 2022 EPS versus their historic multiple of 22 times, 3.6% dividend yield, uh, et cetera. So uh, we talked a bit about the commitments of traders, which we've touched on, that um, short-term bounce in bonds, compression of yields is a short-term counter trend. Commercials are uh, not we're, are starting to buy, but they're not buying at a level that I would say, you know, the sell-off in bonds is done. Um, you know, usually they buy ahead and they start to buy in size as you get closer to a bottom. So I think uh, a reasonable expectation, despite what should be a short-term counter trend bounce, compression in yields, bounce in bonds, should be, you know, maybe around a 2%, maybe maybe as high as 2.5, 2.25, not 2.5, 2.25 by year end. But I'd probably be inclined to be more towards two. And that's not a big deal because, it's, uh, albeit it's, you know, 
25 basis points more than the recent high at 175, uh, the rate of change is going to be a lot slower and the market can digest it versus 75 bips in six weeks was, was a lot. Uh, and that created the opportunity for the yield-sensitive stocks, utility staples, and uh, pharma. Uh, U.S. dollar um, short-term uh, could have some strength um as commercials have been buying I'm kind of agnostic on the dollar no strong view there and then sentiment is still hot um uh, however 66 percent uh, if you remember from last week's uh bank of america global fund manager survey 66 percent are still saying this is a late stage bull so uh they're they're missing the new the opportunity of being positioned for early stage bull versus late stage bull. We had two quarters, we had the recession, we had all the things that precede a new bull market. So, um, uh, so that's that. And then uh, AAII and National Association of Active Investment Managers we covered, which we'll, we'll get the new, new data on this call. Moving right along, so thanks, thanks again to David Lynn and Michelle McCary over at Kitco. Then I was on uh, that night on CGTN Global Business talking about China. That actually came in handy because some of the groups that have sold off materially 30-40% in the last few weeks, uh, one of them is China. So we are looking very, very, very selectively at high quality names there. We like some of the casino operators. Um, uh, Las Vegas Sands has sold off their Las Vegas business, so now they're they're a pure play on China, effectively in Asia. Uh, Melco Crown is a smaller operator, um, uh, and um, some of those. And we'll talk about some other Chinese stocks that we're looking at. But the key of the the, the call was about uh, China GDP print, which was up uh, 18.3% year on year, which was slightly lower than, than estimates of 19.2. And it was coming off a very low, you know, the base effect that it was coming off depression lows from last year for the year on year number, which was negative 6.8% last year in Q1. Uh, so if you look at Q, Q1 over Q4, uh, their GDP was up only six tenths of a percent. So they're still growing at a tremendous clip, but I think the uh, short term headwinds is the uh, government uh, started tightening on stimulus, and I, in my view, too too quickly and i've said that on cgtn for the last two months it's too early to uh start tightening up policy before you get a global economic recovery there's not enough internal demand domestically to uh to to, to grow at this level uh so we'll see if they if they um you know maybe slow down their tightening but uh the strengths obviously their exports have been tremendous uh, they're, they're the only uh, developed economy to have uh, positive GDP plus 2.3% last year. They hit pre-pandemic -pan uh, production levels, GDP levels in September of 2020. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the patio furniture, electronics, computer equipment, video consoles as people were home, tremendous uh, exports. And, uh, and they've put a lot into infrastructure. While we gave a lot of money directly into people's pockets, they put it into long-term investment infrastructure. There are cranes everywhere, highways, railroads, charging stations, and big property investment. Their home sales were up 95.5% year on year. Their real estate investment, a uh, lot, lot government-driven, was up 25% uh, uh, in Q1. 
So what, where they're so far lagging, ha had been lagging, was in the consumer. And that was a function of a government policy. So they lagged on the vaccine rollout. They were behind the pace of the U.S. materially. And that hurt consumer confidence because every time they had a flare-up, uh, the government would just shut down all businesses in that area and it would just stop. And when you have that level of job uncertainty, income uncertainty, um, uh, and regularity in your schedule, uh, you you rein in your consumer spending. You get worried about making your bills. Both, you know, one you don't want to spend. Two, you don't know if you're going to have a job if the go you know if, if there are ten cases of COVID, they shut down the whole city for a number of days. So um, as their vaccines roll out, that confidence is going to come back, and we started to see it in the most recent retail sales print was up 34% year on year versus 28% estimate. So that customer is coming back. It's because of the vaccinations, the government's starting to push people. The other reason a lot of people weren't getting vaccines, one, they didn't have them, but then they, when they got them, people were like, well, there's very few cases in our country. Why do we? Why should we get a vaccine? Government's now promoting it to go get the vaccine. So that customer is gonna come back strong. Uh, and material, and I think the, the shutdowns, the random shutdowns are going to stop. That'll bring back consumer confidence. And that's why we think some of these stocks are, are overdone to the downside and could be great opportunities. Beijing has a 6% target GDP for this year. Um, Wall Street consensus is 8.5 relative to, um, you know, I, I, I think I think the U.S. could come in at 9, and I, and I think 8.5 would be, be certainly reasonable, if not a little more in China. Uh, and that recovery is going to continue so long as they don't rein in the uh, stimulus entirely too quickly. So that that is that is really the the risk is government policy, and they're doing that because some pockets of the economy are overheating, which is why they set their GDP target low at six percent. But um, you know it, it's a balancing act. I think you're better off overheating in the short term, like Powell has said, and then reining it in uh, later. Uh, you know they they do have inflation starting to rear its head with the producer price index came in at 4.4 versus 3.5 percent. Uh, so producers are having to raise prices like um, uh, appliance manufacturers, refrigerators, dishwashers, et cetera, because the raw materials, the metals and copper, et cetera, are going up in price. Um, so, you know, their, their recovery has been driven by infrastructure and property investment. The consumers are going to be the next phase. And, um, uh, you know, as the government encourages vaccinations and they get those delivered, that, that sentiment's going to improve. And I think their their GDP is going to um, exceed targets, which is why we want to start to nibble on the highest of high quality Chinese stocks that are down anywhere from 30, 40, 50 percent in the last handful of weeks. So thank you to Rochelle Akufo. That's the host and anchor and Stephanie Savage for uh, the producer for having me on. Uh, we did the video cast last week on Thursday. So this article came out after that. Um, and this was after bank earnings. My quote was, you're just seeing blowout earnings from the banks and all the data pointing to a very strong reopening. So it's a day for the so-called reopening trade with strong financials. Uh, the biggest risk that could cause the stock sell-off is the development of COVID variants, uh, a slowdown in the reopening and persistent inflation. So thanks to Shivani Kumarasan for including me in that article. I appreciate that. 
And then on the 19th, which was, I believe, so that one was uh, Friday the 16th. Yeah, that was after the podcast. And then Monday the 19th, uh, IBM uh, was going to report after the bell. I said the market is waiting to see if blowout, if the blowout earnings in banks will continue to other sectors. One of the things the market's looking for is increased participation among tech stocks, which have lagged in 2021. So that's going to be key. The first FANG stock, Netflix, uh, whiffed. So the stock was down, I think, 9%. Um, so the market is kind of in an information vacuum waiting to see the rest of the FANG stocks report next week. And whether they can, um, you know, exceed expectations and show decent guidance, it's going to be tough because they pulled forward a lot of growth last year. So I'll, I'll be very uh, focused on seeing the guidance moving forward. So next week's going to be big. I'll be on TD Network on Wednesday at 1:45 p.m. talking about some of the earnings, uh, the tech earnings. So you definitely want to check that out. And thank you to Shivani Kumarasan for having me on that article on Monday. And then on uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday was really interesting. Actually, there were two things. So in the morning, the market was doing nothing. And it was like fluctuating between positive and negative. And uh, my quote was, the most important catalyst is waiting for key FANG earnings next week. That's going to tell us the next 50 points on the S&P, either up or down in that information vacuum. The market's really struggling for direction. The market's a little bit concerned about coronavirus uh, cases flaring up in India. They had record cases that day. And in parts of Asia, which have not had vaccine rollouts as strongly as we've had in the U.S., you know, that affects global trade, global uh, commerce, et cetera. So, so that was weighing on the markets. But then the the big bomb drop, which was interesting because I wrote the article Wednesday night and I said, don't rock the boat, baby, you know, and the, and the basis was uh, the market's price per, for perfection based on current estimates, but we think estimates are going to go up. Uh, and if they go up to the extent we think they're going to go up, the forward multiple becomes uh, very reasonable and fairly valued. But you know, since we are priced for perfection, don't rock the boat, baby. And sure enough, at three o'clock or no, it was like one o'clock, uh, Biden, the, the headline hit that Biden's talking about a 43 percent uh, capital gains tax rate, uh, economic suicide. And so uh, so Herb Lang called me, uh, excuse me, Herb Lash called me uh, and um, Herb has been great. And he said, you know, what, what's going on? The market's down 300, that Dow's down 300 points. And I said, Herb, you know, if this bill had a chance of passing, we'd be down 2,000 points. So don't worry about it. <laughs> and, and that was my quote. And sure enough, the, the market uh, closed down about 300 points, not 2,000 points. And then today it was up big. So, um, you know, thanks to Herb Lash, uh, Trevor Hunnicutt, and Jarrett Renshaw for including me in their article on uh, Thursday. And by the way, a friend of mine called me. Apparently, Larry Kudlow was on Fox News uh, about 2.30 uh, or so today, and he quoted me 
in this Reuters article saying that not to worry if this had a chance of passing. Tom Hayes at Great Hill Capital says we'd be down 2,000 points. And look, we're up today. He was right yesterday. So thanks. Uh, shout out to Larry Kudlow for uh, mentioning me on Fox News. And he has his own show on Fox Business every night at 4 o'clock. You want to tune in for that right after the claim and countdown. So, um, so that was that. All right, moving on. We've covered a lot, but this is from Almanac Trader. This is Yale, uh, Jeff Hirsch. He's the son of Yale Hirsch, who started the Stock Traders Almanac. And, you know, everyone knows about the worst uh, months of the year, sell in May, go away. So it's basically uh, May, June, July, August, September, October are the worst six months of the year. But uh, his data shows that in the post-election year, the worst months on average are not so terrible um, as they are ordinarily. So next year, the midterm year, is the worst time to be long stocks in the worst six months of the year. So next year from May through October is a bad time to be long stocks on average since 1950. Um uh, so the post-election year on average, you're up during that period on the S&P 500, uh, 2.39%. So, you know, that gets us closer to our mid-teens target for the year, if we add that on. Um, and more than anything, we're, we're, as we've continued to pound the drum, not paying attention to the general indices this year. We're looking for the rallies under the surface and sector rotation. That's our knitting. That's where we score. And that's what we're going to keep delivering. Okay. This is interesting. This came out this week. Nearly half of Americans are too nervous to invest in stocks right now. New survey shows. Allianz showed that 48% of Americans don't want to take action in the equity market. 75% American, of Americans foresee stock market volatility picking up again in 2021. Analysts say more volatility is likely in stores, more strong economic data challenges, the Fed signaling on interest rates. By the way, uh, Ryan Dietrich actually put out some data about what happens to the stock market after the face first rise in interest rates, and it's actually bullish. Um, the Fed started rise, raising rates, by the way, I think in 2003, and the market rallied for uh, you know another four years. So... Uh, or maybe it was 2004, but either way, you had many years and many positive things happening right there. Why I bring up this article from Business Insider is because it shows there's still a wall of worry despite all the optimism and despite the big move. A lot of people that are still underweight. Um, and then for those people saying, well, you've had all these flows, more flows in the last uh, you know, six months than the last 12 years. But the fact of the matter is equity flows relative to bond flows over the last 12 years have been de minimis and there's a huge catch-up trade in the offing because people have been so defensive partially part of that was obviously uh, uh, war wounds from the great financial crisis but also uh, that that generation the baby boomers were getting closer to retirement so they didn't want to take any risk and they put it all into bonds at the worst time when the market was going up so um, now that they're older uh, they're, they're less important that the newer money, Gen X, which is a smaller generation, my generation, the forgotten generation, but the millennials now have a lot of money and they're going to be all equities based on their age. And then Gen Z and, and remember we've constantly covered millennials are, have 
bigger size. They have more numbers now than the baby boomers. Average age of 30, starting housing formation, they're going to be doing all equities. So they're offsetting that and they've got to play catch up. There's going to be more equities and uh, the the um, imbalance of bond flows to equity flows over the last 12 years is going to be flipped on its head over the next 12 years. I think you're going to see uh, over uh, flow of equities and probably an underweighting of bonds as people start losing principal like it's going out of style um, uh, as uh, rates slowly climb and um, and principal erodes. So um and that's you know also a function of of inflation okay so moving on now um with the break we took if you remember we were saying for the last four weeks we would expect you know banks and financials and did were the top performers of the year they still are by the way um uh so we expected them to take a breather they have are they ready to start to get bid again well let's see i mean bank of america put out this note 10 reasons why the value stock resurgence has further to run uh not over according to a note on friday value stocks have outperformed growth stocks over the past seven months reversing a decade-long trend as investors anticipate a full reopening of the u.s economy and they put their 10 points so their david letterman top 10 list uh, growth starts looking cheaper than value. Even after seven-month underperformance, growth stocks remain one standard deviation undervalued relative to... I'm, uh, value stocks remain one standard deviation... I'm sorry. Growth stocks remain one standard deviation overvalued relative to value stocks. Okay, they, they, this was a typo. Uh, value has outperformed growth for 33 months on average. It's only been seven months of value outperforming growth well short of the 33-month average Bank of America observed. So these red points are the inflections. And as you can see here, I think this is uh, it's going to be much more than like a cyclical bounce like we saw uh, in the 2000s. I think we're going to get a secular move here like we saw in early 2000s, a huge com that's going to be driven by modest inflation, commodities, uh, housing demand um and, and all the reopening plays like you saw in early 2000 and this is we're just starting so th this chart is more important than anything else on this chart in my view say so give you perspective even though we've had this monster run in the last six months we breathe we've taken a breath for the last four to six weeks but we're just in the nascent stages of of what i think is going to be a secular three four five year move here uh, value has outperformed growth by 60% on average. Value has only outperformed growth about, let's see, value has only outperformed growth by about 20% since the rally began seven months ago, short of its 60% average, B of A said. Okay, active funds are overweight value. Uh, uh, overweight growth. Okay, whoever wrote this article, Matthew, okay, I'm not going to name him, but um he, he did not copy and paste properly um okay the active managers are still yeah so so this should have said active funds are overweight growth active investment managers are still sticking with growth stocks despite the value rally and are 30 percent underweight value that's correct uh this chart shows it that they're still underweight and they're going to have to play catch up uh active funds are equal weight financials and energy uh, holding, oh, uh, uh, there, no, again, his heading is wrong. 
underweight financials and energy, holding underweight positions of 6% and 26% respectively, according to Bank of America. So there's a huge catch-up trade in energy and financials just to get back to the mean. And um, and it's just, just starting here. And uh, B of A does not expect peak in profits growth until fourth quarter of 2021, according to the note. Um, the U.S. regime indicator is mid-cycle, during which value has historically outperformed growth. Bank said adding that prior mid-cycle regimes saw value outperform growth by 2.9 percentage points on average with a 71% hit rate. So that just shows the quantitative data. Biden promises that corporate tax, uh, let's see, uh, according to BOA, attack, okay, continues to advocate for 28% to help fund his $2.2 trillion infrastructure plan. Uh, according to BOA, the tax hike hurt growth stock earnings per share by three percentage points more than value stocks. So in other words, if he gets the full 28, I think it's probably going to be 25%. It hurts growth stocks on a relative basis materially more than value stocks, which means value stocks will probably want to go where uh, money will go where they're treated best, which is into value. Uh, the difference in valuation between growth and value stocks remains at extreme levels. We're 42% above the long-term median, just off of record highs in, with growth being overvalued. That usually happens right before inflections, and the inflection has begun. And BOA expects a pickup in economic growth going forward with GDP growth surge of 8% in the second quarter, followed by a growth of 11% in the third quarter. That's in line with what we've been talking about. So that's that. Uh, another article from uh, Yardeni uh, in Barron's, Why the Reflation Trade Remains a Good Bet. And he's just talking about 250 millions of, uh, of Americans have received checks that add up to roughly $800 billion in cash available for sweeping through supermarket stores and shopping malls. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. GDP we talked about. Darby predicts roughly 30% earnings growth for the S&P this year versus last. Some, some forecasters are even more bullish. At Morgan Stanley, for example, strategist base case for 2021 S&P earnings is $193 per share. That's more in line with mine. Consensus is still in the 170s. And, um, and I think that's, that's going to be the surprise of this year. And that's what's going to make the market look fair value. So when people talk about PE multiples, they're talking off of trough earnings. We're getting back to trend earnings. And when we do so, the multiple is going to look a lot more reasonable. And the beneficiaries of the high growth cycle have always been in, in the new stage of a bull market, cyclicals, value, financials, defense and aerospace, etc. Everything we loaded up on last year and, uh, and we're holding to this year. So that's that. And then Marco uh, Kalanovic over at JP Morgan, who I quote a lot, uh, says, get ready for the reflation and reopening stock market trade to kick into high gear, says JP Morgan's top quant. Our view is that the reflation and reopening trade will resume with yields moving higher and rotation from growth, quality and defensives to value and cyclicals. Um, da, 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 da. Value stocks saw their long running underperforming versus growth, growth deepen and rising treasury yields more stimulus. Okay, so so the same story based on cases going down, demand going up as the COVID recovery takes place, reopening reflation and inflation themes. And this is the key that hurts growth stocks with yet inflation and rising rates. That's when cyclicals win. 
value will sig significantly outperform growth. So uh, that's what we're going to see in coming months. Whether the short-term rest is over or not uh, remains to be seen. But, um, you know, that, that trade we've always said is going to come back for the second half in spades. And, uh, and we still believe that to be the case. So uh, a lot, of, lot more people are getting behind it. Now, we've, we've got more than enough that we need with the big pharma and the utilities and staples are now taking a little break, but they'll resume. But um, I started to look for what's next. Where's the puck going? Because we've had a huge hit. I mean, um, we covered in the article this week how much some of those are up in the last seven weeks. Um, certainly the... Uh, banks, you know, Wells Fargo was at a new high. I think it hit 44 today. Um, so they're going to do what they're going to do, and we're in those for the long term. But what's next? And uh, oddly enough, I was in three groups that I would never really naturally be in, but I look for, you know, what's out of favor and what has a, a chance to inflect. And the, the, a lot of the stocks that were coming up were um, Chinese stocks, uh, clean energy stocks that have just gotten taken to the woodshed in the last few weeks. Uh, it, ironically, by the way, and, you know, given that all the emphasis on climate change, I think that drum is going to start to beat a lot louder and a lot quicker. And all the new programs and the spending bills are going to include massive money for them. And people are going to say, why are these sold off now? You know, 30, 40 percent. Well, they were up 100 percent on nothing. They got collapsed and now they're back. And, and, and the overlap of the clean energy is SPACs. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of money in SPACs that they all got driven up a lot. Retail and other speculation and hype. They're now crashed back down below uh, to $10, which was their cash value, both SPACs that have announced deals and SPACs that have not announced deals. And I think the hidden opportunity, which we put a, a number of on for um, clients and personally, there's no way to tell which are going to be the winners and the losers in the clean energy, uh, nor is there a way to really tell which SPACs are going to be the winners and losers. It's highly speculative, but I do like um, buying after, pe after people got smashed. I, I mean, you know, um, I, I like buying in the rubble. And I think enough pain has been inflicted to the people that were chasing these clean energy SPACs in the last four weeks, many of them down 50%, uh, that not only can you get, um, you can get them at a discount, but uh, many of these SPACs have one of my specialties. Um, I worked with a group called Cornwall Capital. Many of you saw the big short the movie with Brad Pitt. And uh, so I worked with that group before starting starting my own firm. And they were exceptional at derivatives and pricing premium and pricing options. And and one of the things that, uh, you know, I know through years in the business and I learned with them and they were masters of is effectively, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this without qualification, and there are exceptions to this rule, but more or less, short-term options are for suckers. So um, where you can make money is if you understand the underlying company, and then you can buy longer-dated premium at low Im implied volatility or lower than its historic mean, 
um, and uh, let time and, and trend pay you exceptionally well. And, and, uh, and, and that's just something that works. Uh, most people lose their shirt in options because they're buying short-term stuff. And, and you can buy the short-term stuff if it's deep in the money and you're selling premium against it. But, um, but, but for some of these ideas, what's set up with this SPAC trade, now that many of them are busted SPACs, uh, is that the warrants that were attached to these deals are, have also collapsed. And what's beautiful about them is they're effectively a leverage play to where you get a long dated option out to 2025 or 2027 that's now inexpensive because the, the baby's been thrown out with the bathwater. Good companies and bad companies alike have been thrown in the toilet. And because there's no perfect way to know which companies are going to win, there are two ways you can, you can do this. Number one, you always want to bet on the jockey. So obviously someone who has a huge track record of success, a good portion of these people who have raised SPACs do have some level of historic success in the past. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to raise the SPAC. But you want to go to the higher quality people that have a track record of getting things done. That's number one. Number two, once you do that, then it's like, well, how much money am I going to throw at this? Because not all SPACs will, will get deals done. Some of the deals will be crap. And the way I think about it is like Michael Milken changed the world when he when he uh, came up with selling junk bonds. And his pitch to institutions was he would go in and say, buy a basket of this crap, okay, which was basically um, companies that had a higher chance of going bankrupt than what most insurance companies and institutions would buy, which was you know, high grade corporate bonds that, you know, had low risk. And he said, look, your high grade portfolio, you know, this was in the 70s. So, you know, your high grade portfolio is yielding, uh, you know, 6% and you have no risk. Guess what? With with the portfolio I'm going to sell you, it's like all the companies are high risk. 15 or 15% may default. Oh, and by the way, after those 15% default, your return is going to be 8 or 10%. So after you assume 100% of the risk and the worst case scenario happens because these are riskier companies and 15% go bankrupt, your return is still going to be much higher with lower risk than just buying the investment grade and, and yielding much lower. So that's how I'm thinking about these SPAC warrants is obviously I want to bet on the highest jockey. Two, I want to, I want to bet on the ones that have just collapsed. And uh, three, uh, some of them have companies in them that are um, in line with what is going to be promoted. Whether they work or not in the long term, most of them won't. But, um, you know, the first shakeout is among us and you've got a five-year look. So what you can do is you can buy a basket of these that with high-quality uh, people in charge and, you know, 80% of them probably won't work because either a deal won't get done and the money will have to be returned because there's a two-year um, stopwatch. Otherwise, they got to, you know, uh, they got to get a deal done in two years. Otherwise, the money's got to be returned, which is why hedge funds buy them because it's basically low risk and all upside because if you don't like the deal, you get the money back. You just lose use of the money 
for the two years, although you can margin against it. So anyway, that, that's why the deals get done. So it's got to be a decent enough deal. So some won't get done. The money gets returns. The warrants are worthless because the stock's not going to go up if... Um, and, and the way to think about warrants, it's more complex. It's just an out-of-the-money call option uh, five years out to seven years. Some of these warrants go out to 2027, so six years, four, five, six-year warrants uh, near the money. I mean, they're all at 1150 The SPACs are at $10. Obviously, there'll be dilution when they do pipes, equity pipes to supplement the deals. But leaving all that aside, some of them are going to work. And 80, let's say 80%. So let's say you buy a basket of 10 of these that you like that either have done a deal and crashed or not done a deal yet, but have a good good promoter. Um, um, 80% fail, 20% work out of those 20%, those one or $2 warrants that are five years out go to you know 10x. And uh, the other 10%, you could get, you know, 30 or 40x. So if you're getting on average 20x on 20% of the portfolio that works and 80% doesn't work, you can do the math. Like it, it's worth taking, you know, if you took 3% of your portfolio equity or 1% of your portfolio equity or 2% and you put it in, you know, 10 of these companies that you like, expecting 80% not to work, but the 20% to work exceptionally well, and in some cases be, you know, phenomenal companies, um, it, it's a unique opportunity to buy long-dated premium in what could be interesting companies at the beginning of a business cycle. Usually SPACs are late cycle, which is why a lot of these managers are brain damaged and they say, 66% say we're late cycle when we're actually early cycle. Uh, so it, it's a combination... And, it's a combination of a, a lot of great things that I've learned in my career coming together in one place. And I just wanted to share it with you. Uh, I can't really pound the table on any of the names because I have no way of knowing if they're going to work. You know, when I pound the table on stuff, it's like a company that's been in business for like multi-decades. I know they're in a trough. They're going to recover. You know, I, I tend to promote large cap stocks and, you know, uh, for the trading service, we do you know, in the money spreads, either put call, uh, put spreads or call spreads, you know, mostly call spreads. And uh, for clients, we do all of the above. We do long dated options. We do warrants. We do stock. We do uh, everything. But um, this is a unique opportunity. And, and you, my, my view is you want to have some exposure here. So uh, Al Root, so I'm just going to cover some things, you know, Al Root, did an article in Barron's four electric vehicle charging stocks at fire sale prices. So when these came out, they were all hyped. You know, there are a lot of uh, electric car companies like Fisker and Nikola. These things are down like, you know, 50 to 90%. And, you know, like a Nikola is like now hydrogen play. And uh, Jeff Ubbin of Value Act was on saying like, people don't understand it. Stock was up 30% this week, but it's, it, you know, it's fallen 90%. So, you know, if it goes, if it goes from 90 to 10 and then it goes to 13, you didn't miss anything. I'm not saying Nikola is going to be, I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't, my, my nature is not in buying new IPOs, buying new stuff that's unproven. But when, after all the hype is like knocked out of them and I can get my mind around it and it's kind of a unique situation where you can get this long dated premium. So you can get exposure to a lot of companies with leverage for very little money, expecting 80% of them not to work, managing the risk with 
how you size it, whether it's 1%, 2%, 3% of your equity, and then it spread spread across 10 companies with, you know, 20% that'll work and they'll be, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100x, uh, you know, maybe another 5 or 10% that'll work 5 or 10x, and then 80% that'll be zeros either to do crappy deals or uh, not getting a deal done and then the warrant warrants are worthless. Uh, so, but these are some of the groups. So he goes into this four electric vehicle charging stocks at fire sale prices, and you can still buy warrants on these. So these were SPACs. Uh, he covers uh, Checkpoint, uh, I think, uh, SNPR, which is Volta, and you don't know which is going to be the winner, Evox, TPGY, but you know, these are some you can start to look at. I mean, you've got to do your own work on this. Uh, I like this one. Le- legendary investor Bill Miller says the window's closing on the SPAC market, but singles out two names that remain attractive. I totally agree with him on these. Uh, Desktop Metal, he, he, he pointed out, and, um, Oh, one of these companies that does uh, insurance by the mile, like you only get paid, va- you only pay v- based on how much you drive. And I think that's called um, M-I-L-E. I think M-I-L-E is the ticker. So, you know, this is this is how I think, you know. So he's buying these things after they got smashed. I'm the same thing. I don't know if he's buying this, the, the stock or the warrant. It doesn't really matter. Uh, there, there's opportunity to do here. Fisker's another one. Some com- Goldman's downgrading it. Bank, Bank of America's upgrading it. Uh, Fisker could jump another 116%. Well, it's down like 50%. So, because uh, their reservations are rising. Who the hell knows? I mean, Fisker was around 10 years ago doing uh, uh, pipes and you know raising money. They flushed through a ton of money back then. They might have been early, but look, they're still around. So that. You know, either they're just great salespeople or maybe there's something with the new Ocean SUV. I have no idea, but I would, you know, if it's 1% to 3% of the portfolio and then of that 3%, it's only, you know, 30 basis points because I got 10 names, it goes to zero, it goes to zero, but it could be 10 or 20x. It could be a NEO. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm, I'm sure there are people that think they know. I don't think like that. I think like Michael Milton and you buy a portfolio of the risky stuff you know, 80% of it doesn't work. The 20% that does just pays in spades and you've got time five to six years on some of these long dated premium. I think it's it's interesting. Um, Nikola is another one. So that, you know, they're, they're now, now they're not a EV company. They're a uh, hydrogen company. I, I, I have no idea. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. It's down 90%. There's a good name bagged in it. He'll do something to make it work or he won't. But, you know, you can get long dated warrants for that. Um, okay, moving on. All the uh, Staples companies we've been talking about came out and said prices are going up this week. P&G crushed it. Kim, uh, Kimberly Clark sucked today, uh, their earnings, but I see that as a, I, I think that's a buying opportunity. Why do they suck? Because the same reason some of the tech companies may, may have headwinds next week. It's because they pulled forward a lot of growth when people were buying every piece of toilet paper that was available for sale within 100 miles of their house last year well naturally they bought less toilet paper this year because they're not worried about not having toilet paper so uh kimberly clark you know did poorly they took their guidance down a little bit i still think the company's cheap i think that's an opportunity it's not one of our heavyweights but it's you know i i think there's I, th- I think I think that's an opportunity. Uh, usually, it takes three days to settle out after the bad news, uh, but I think if you look three three plus four five six months out, I think I think we could see new highs on that. But 
we'll take it as it comes. I mean, again, with all of these, you need to have a basket. Uh, but, um, you know, P&G was good. Coca-Cola was good. I think on balance, you're going to see more good stuff. And all this stuff about inflation and prices going up, that's just going to be passed on to the customer. That's going to be part of inflation. And then you'll see it in wages, et cetera. Uh, here's an article by Andrew Barry and Barron's pa Packaged Foods boom, boom During the Pandemic, Why Their Stocks Still Have Room to Run. Um, so, you know, he goes goes through the whole article here, and that's that's a theme that we like. He, he uh, points out Campbell's Soup, which is one of our holdings, uh, as well as Kellogg. And we, we like those. We, we think they've got more room to run despite their recent move. Fed's inflation blind spot already surging grocery and housing prices. Well, we, we've pointed that out in the recent weeks. You can see the data here. Look at the CRB food index. So core inflation, they take out food and energy, the things that most people spend most of their budget on. Uh, that's why inflation won't be transient. But I also don't think it's going to be any crazy hyperinflation. So, uh, you know, um, I, I just think we're going to we're going to revert back above trend and uh, that, that'll be constructive. It's a sign of demand for capital. It's a sign of growth and, um, and it will be very good. Here was uh, the CEO of intercontinental hotels saying that demand may exceed supply as um, uh, he sees a surge in bookings. That's, you know, goes without saying uh, we've got another swim meet in Florida at the end of June. We luckily got the last beachfront uh, set up there. Like, they, no one had anything. We we randomly got one of the people that we called who said we don't have anything left to give us a name for someone else who might have one. And they like got their last beachfront thing. And, you know, it is what it is. So, um, all right. Wells Fargo has used its lockdown time. Well, the article here in Wall Street Journal by Telus Demos is basically saying that uh, this uh, Wells Fargo has positioned itself to be a big beneficiary from rising rates. Um, so in effect, Wells Fargo, Fargo asset cap also acted like a deposit cap. Uh, and so he, he basically just lays out as rates rise, no one's better position. And... Um, Wells Fargo shares have already risen the most among S&P banks this year, up over 40%. Still, its price to tangible book value remains well below its five-year average, while big U.S. banks overall are solidly above that average. Wells Fargo may be the rare reopening trade that isn't maxed out. I couldn't agree with them more. Uh, that's TELUS Demos over at Wall Street Journal. So that was a nice article to see today. Uh, moving right along. By the way, if you're on the podcast, we're going to click off in two and a half minutes. Just go to the website and click on um, the video cast, the YouTube video. Fast forward to minute 60. You'll pick up right where you left off word for word. If you want to go back and look at some of the charts we've covered, you may want to do that. We're actually going to get into some charts on Chinese stocks and uh, SPACs and uh, clean energy stocks. So you may want to definitely see those visually. So just go back a few few minutes and you'll be able to see those. Uh, this article by Steve Goldstein over at MarketWatch, get ready to, for $178 billion of selling ahead of the capital gains tax hike. These are the stocks at risk most. Uh, you know, Number one, $178 billion is not a lot of money. Uh, two, uh, what we find in the last three times that um, the... Uh, capital gains rate was hiked in 1987, 88, and 2013. 
Um, the stock market was up the six months after the hike. So it's not the end of the world. But he's saying like these NASDAQ stocks that have had huge, the biggest one-year moves are going to be the ones to get hit first. The Teslas, the Penn Nationals, the uh, uh, Etsy's and, and that type of stuff, Peloton's. So we'll we'll see. I mean, it's it's you know a sensational headline, but when you drill down into what it says, it's it's saying you don't really have to worry. And I think that uh, Ryan Dietrich over at LPL put it best in this table uh, in 2013. The old rate was 15%. It went up to 23.8%. And you look over the. Um, Following three months, six months, and twelve months, the market was up. Actually, the market was up twenty-five percent after that, so that that wasn't didn't hurt. Nineteen eighty-seven, it went from twenty to twenty-eight percent. Again, it was up three months, six months, twelve months. In nineteen seventy-six, uh, it went from thirty-six percent to thirty-nine and change. Uh, it was up in three months. The stock market was down twelve months later, seven point seven percent. And in nineteen 19- Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast, episode 80, podcast, episode 70, for the week ending April 30th, 2021. A lot of great stuff, a lot of detail today. Uh, If you're listening on the podcast, you may want to check out the videocast after you're done just to see some of the charts that we're going to go through. You can do that at hedgefundtips.com. It'll be one of the first few posts that come up. But uh, as always, we're going to kick it off with our media spots for the week, get through some key points there, and then get right on to the sector rotation, some opportunities that we're taking advantage of, and some things that you may be able to benefit from. So uh, first, I'd like to thank Nicole Petalides and Declan Murphy for having me on the TD Ameritrade Network this week. Uh, They have quite a few people that tune into their uh, platform from Schwab and from TD Ameritrade, so uh, always great to be on the show. And in this segment, we covered the uh, part of the big tech earnings. It was after Microsoft and Google had reported. And the question Nicole asked me was, uh, why was Google up or Alphabet up and Microsoft was down, even though they both had good earnings? And the key with all of this is expectations. So in the case of Microsoft, expectations were very high going into earnings. Uh, they exceeded those expectations on some fronts, uh, but then sold off. It was trading at 35 times earnings into the print. Uh, its 10-year average historical multiple is about 28 times. So it was a, a short-term sell the news event. And it kind of reminded me of the Apple earnings from Q1. If you remember on January 27th, uh, Apple reported quote-unquote perfect earnings. And then the stock subsequently sold off almost 20% over the next few weeks. Similar type of situation by the rumor sell the news. And uh, so that's probably going to consolidate for a little while before moving higher. And the other aspect uh, on Google, for instance, the expectations were low because they depend on travel, leisure, and hospitality. Advertising uh, is a large part of their sales, so expectations were very low. They were trading at a 32 times multiple into earnings versus a 10-year average of 25 times. However, Earnings beat so materially $26.29 a share versus 15.60 estimated that 
when you look at the forward run rate, that, that multiple is actually going to come down below their 10-year average or somewhere in the range of their 10-year average. So while uh, Microsoft beat, their multiple is still high and it's, it's cooling off, whereas uh, Alphabet beat by such a large margin that the multiple is actually now compressing uh, and the price can go up because earnings are going up so dramatically and, and that run rate, you know, from 60 to effectively 100, uh, although it varies by quarter. But but the point is that um, uh, the multiple was reasonable. Now, I think the big story, there are three divisions for each of the of the companies. In the case of Alphabet, they've got Google Services, which is the ads. Uh, they were uh, expected to be up 25%. They were up 33%. YouTube was the big story. Um, they were up 48.7%. But you have to think, uh, YouTube just two years ago had 73% of adults watching their station, uh, their their website. Today it's 83, 81%. So from 73% to 81%, that's number one. Number two is a billion hours a day of content are being watched on YouTube. It's estimated their forward run rate is going to be about $30 billion of revenue. Now compare that to Netflix. 400 million hours a day of contents being consumed and their revenues are expected to be 29.7 billion. So on a standalone basis, leave the rest of Google aside, YouTube alone could be a bigger business than Netflix. Uh, and it's obviously at a much lower multiple now trading in line with the 10 year average. Uh, so so that, that was the big story uh, from Google. And um, their Google Cloud grew, but it's a tiny part of their business still. It uh, was expected to do 4.07 billion. It did 4.05 billion. Uh, so they're growing up 46%, but it's still small relative to Microsoft Azure and uh, Amazon Web Services. As far as Microsoft, they have three different divisions as well, productivity and business processes. And I think this is also part of the reason that uh, you saw a little softness after earnings. Their revenues on that division were expected to be 13.48. They came in at 13.4. It was up 13% on the uh, year on year. And But their LinkedIn was a big growth story, up 23%. They've now got 45.7 million people on MSF, MS Microsoft uh, 365. That's the consumer version. The commercial version is Office 365. Um, and then on the Azure side, and I also think this is why it was a little soft after earnings, 14.9 billion was expected. They got 14.6. Azure was up 50% year on year, um, but it was also up 50% year on year last quarter. So there was some murmuring that the growth rate is starting to slow. I think that may be an overblown fear, number one. Number two, they're growing 50% year on year, put it in perspective. Uh, and finally, their Xbox was up 40%. But the big beat was on, uh, um, uh, in terms of percentage, I mean, Xbox w was big. Both of these companies are going to return a tremendous amount of capital, a lot of buybacks, 10 billion. They did 10 billion of, uh, of uh, return of capital last quarter, 5.8 billion in buybacks for Microsoft, 4.2 billion in dividends. Um, the travel, leisure, and hospitality businesses will start to come back and spend. And uh, Azure has an advantage over AWS in that uh, 
people have the Teams and the Office 365 embedded, so it's easier to integrate and sell it as a bundle. Whereas if you're buying, you know, charging cords on Amazon or books on Amazon, it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily. There's no there's no synergy with you using AWS. AWS is just a commodity product. Um, so, but but doing well is uh, also on the Alphabet side. They did a 50 billion dollar buyback authorization. So there's going to be a lot of return of capital moving forward uh, in these groups. We're going to talk about Apple uh, a little later in this um, in this podcast video cast because th- there's some nuances and I and I came came in skeptical and it seemed to be bearing out correctly. Um, but we'll take it day by day. So again, thank you to Nicole and Declan for having me back on TD Ameritrade. Uh, moving right along, I want to thank um, Shivani Kumarasan and Shriyasi Sanyal for having me in their Reuters article. This was, I guess, on Tuesday. And the quote was, the market's in a holding pattern waiting for big tech earnings. We could see a bifurcated result in tech earnings with ad providers like Facebook and Google doing quite well very well while Apple coming against uh, coming up against some very tough comparisons year on year. Um, so we'll, we'll parse that out. I mean, the story with Apple, I mean, the earnings were absolutely phenomenal. But the question is, and I've said this in, in many podcasts in the last couple months, after those quote unquote perfect earnings in January is where's the next growth catalyst going to come from? They're fumbling the ball on the car. I'm sure they'll have some big announcement on that this year, but I, I do think, you know, talks broke down with Hyundai. It's a huge investment. They're way behind, you know, five to 10 years behind the curve. So it's going to take a long time to catch up before you can start to price that in. Uh, service, you know, actually handsets were better than services. But again, they don't really have a huge ad business, and now their cash cow services is being threatened in a material way, which we'll talk about uh, in 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 just a little bit. So, uh, secondly, second, I want to thank. Uh, this was also an article, a quote in Reuters yesterday. Uh, where I said Apple and Microsoft both had high expectations. And while they did exceed consensus estimates, a lot lot of it was priced in. So there's some profit taking coming in. Uh, And that's really the story here. Nothing wrong. They have to consolidate in the case of Microsoft. Uh, Apple, again, I think that could be a different story. And we're going to parse that out in in this call. Uh, A few good quotes of the day I put up this week, and I think they're going to be appropriate based on what we talk about today. Uh, Joel Greenblatt, um, the secret to investing is to figure out the value of something and then pay a lot less. And then I think that ties in with Charlie Munger, the wise ones bet heavily when the world offers them that opportunity. The big, They bet big when they have the odds, and the rest of the time they don't. It's just that simple. And that's interesting. Um, Considering uh, this week there was a headline article by Carlton English over at Barron's, why Wells Fargo is a must-owned stock. And now we know that the sentiment is turning after it's up almost 100% now uh, from the low 20s. When we were pounding the table, the low to mid-20s last year, now it's, uh, I think it closed over 56 50 today or something uh, i'm sorry 46.50 so we're getting up close to 50 dollars a share 
uh, up from 22 to 25 range where we were really on top of it with the Cobra Kai article and everything else. So sentiment is changing here. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of juice left in this stock uh, over the next few years. I think in, in the short term, there'll be an opportunity, um, you know, as, as more and more people come in, uh, as the position gets you know, lopsidedly large in the portfolio from all the gains uh, to, to trim a little bit, but keep the core of it over the next few years because I think this thing is going to be tremendous. You, you haven't even had the asset cap lift yet. You haven't even had, um, you know, real demand. The reopenings just started. They've got uh, the highest efficiency rate in the, in the business, meaning the highest cost. They can pull another 10, 10 billion of costs out. So many good things in place. They also, uh, because of the asset cap, ironically, uh, they are not overwhelmed with deposits, which is ironically hurts you uh, based on capital ratios, et cetera. So they're actually better positioned than JP Morgan and Bank of America because of the punishment. Who would have thought better to be lucky than to be good? Uh, but uh, so everything's lining up for them. Very exciting to see the change of sentiment after it's up 100%. And, um, and to Carlton's credit, by the way, she in July was was one of the only people other than myself and I think that's basically it maybe one other uh, talking about Cecil and how the accounting changed, how they had to overstate credit reserves and all those are coming back as earnings uh, very few people were on top of that and uh, so give Carlton a lot of credit because she was there in the beginning and now she's there when when the momentum is just getting started so uh, great job on that front and then um, there, here's an article. No surprises in President Biden's reported capital gains proposal. A 28% rate looks most likely Goldman Sachs. So, you know, last week I was uh, quoted in Reuters, you know, when the, they announced this 43% nonsense, uh, the market sold off like the Dow rather sold off the 300 points. And Reuters called me up. I said, uh, you know, if it actually had a chance of passing, we'd be down 2000 points. And uh, I think that's that's going to prove to be the case. Uh, one, the vast, vast majority of money is institutional uh, anyway, so the the capital gains rate doesn't matter. Number two, um, initially it's only going to be for the very wealthy. But if you do the math, you could double the tax, all the taxes on the wealthy, and you still wind up at less than a third of what Biden needs to put out all of his plans. So um, they're coming for the middle class. It's just no one knows it yet. And, uh, and, and actually they do because uh, it starts at 400000 per household, which was not what was campaigned on. It was if you don't earn more than 400000 your taxes won't go up. Uh, now it's a household. So if you got, you know, a wife making 300 and a husband making 100 or 200 each, uh, you know, on the coasts, that's that's, you know, it, that's, you know, it, it, it's 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 good. But it's it's not, you know, when you start having to give 59 percent to the government between state and local, it gets uh, it's it's a different story. So um, so look, this is going to come in. Uh, more moderate on the capital gains. It only affects, I think, about 170, I think it was $178 billion of assets. So it's, it's really de minimis as it relates to the stock market. The rate's going to be a lot less than people expect. Um, and, uh, and that's the story there. The other thing that I, I thought was really interesting, I heard a stat in the last 24 hours that if Biden gets half of his... I'm sorry. If he gets a, th okay, 
what between what's been done and what he's asking for in the family plan and the infrastructure plan, etc. If he only gets half of what is on the table with the infrastructure and the um, and the family plan, which you know largely he can push whatever he wants through through reconciliation because they want everything so um so so it's probable however uh both with the taxes i uh, i'm cognizant of the fact that there are many centrist democrats and sensible uh thoughtful people in the house and the senate that uh are probably not going to let this go through at the ask it'll be somewhere between the bid and the ask in the middle and uh and it'll be more sensible but but assuming reason prevails which i think it will both on the tax rates uh and on the spending being more moderate uh this is going to be so so if he got a hundred percent of his ask it would be dramatically larger than fdr's new deal in inflation adjusted terms the dollar amount of the spend is more dramatically more than was spent during the Great Depression by FDR. And if he gets half of what he's asking for, half of the new spending in the family plan and in the uh, infrastructure plan, it's still larger than FDR's New Deal during the Great Depression. So why am I emphasizing this? I'm emphasizing this because the economy is growing. Uh, things are in place. The vaccines are going along as, as scheduled. The cases are coming down. The deaths are coming down dramatically. We're going to hit critical mass probably in the next one to two to three months where it just falls off the map uh, in a good way. So this amount of spending is concerning. And people are obviously setting themselves up uh, uh, for inflation hedges you're seeing it in the real estate markets i talked to you about the hotel markets you're seeing it in commodities hitting all-time high uh this is a wish list of um a political and social ideology which you know you can agree with or disagree with it may be right it may be wrong and and i think everyone's all for helping everyone who needs it and i and and that's very very important but you also have to spend within the realm of reason there has to be some math attached to the ideas and um you know what we're seeing now with the gdp growth we're seeing you know it's going to be north of nine percent by the time the year is over uh and everything else and that's with the packages that are already approved and rolling out just kicking in they, they, we don't even have this six to nine month lag on some of the packages that are already out and we're seeing this level of inflation then to add another three four trillion dollars on top of it it's it's uh it's imprudent to put it mildly so um so just keep an eye on these numbers so so the point is you you want to be in real assets like you don't want to be in cash in this environment and i'm not a hyperinflationist. i'm not a gold bug i'm not a hide under the shelf and you know get cans of food and all that stuff I, we're not going there there are disinflationary forces part of its demography although the millennials are bigger than the baby boomers now so that that story's not holding as well um a lot of its techno technological advances that that's disinflationary and that's a, that's positive and constructive and productivity uh so there will be some offsets it's not going to be runaway 
Certainly the Fed has some tools to slow it down as it starts to get ahead of it. The question is, how far behind the curve is he going to get? And he told us this week he's going to get as far behind the curve as humanly possible. Uh, but his heart and intent is correct, which is he saw what happened during the great financial crisis. He does not want structural unemployment where, you know, a bunch of people in their mid 40s and mid 50s can never get a job again because they got pushed out due to COVID and they never get back in because there's a bunch of them that that happened in, uh, um, you know, in, in the 2008 to 2016 period. And they never really returned. And that's why you had the opioid. Uh, part of the reason you had mass opioid epidemic, uh, you have massive amounts of people go on long term disability. Uh, you know, miraculously, we had all of these people that became, you know, chronically disabled like we've never had in percentages. And the reason is, is because there was no way back in. So there was structural unemployment. And Powell saw that and he decided that I, I'll let this thing run hot. You know, if you got to pay $15 for a hero sandwich instead of $9.95, that's what's going to happen. So we can make sure everyone's working, even, even if it's twice as much at the tank, even if, you know, it becomes difficult to get into a new house for, for first time home buyers. Uh, at least everyone will be working. And, and I think there's immense merit to that because the value and the dignity of work is significant and um, you can deal with inflation over time and we know we have the tools historically to do that. Uh, the question is the short-term pain that you experience when you do rein it in, but uh, I'm with him. So we know what's coming. I think on the fiscal side, the voices of reason will come to bear and it won't be so dramatic. It'll be something in between. And that should more than offset the middle ground on the higher personal taxes and the higher corporate taxes that'll offset any losses from that. So I think when all is said and done, we'll have modest inflation that won't be transient. We'll have continued growth. And then um, over the next five to seven years, we will grow our way out of you know 120% plus debt to GDP as we did post-World War II when we borrowed to fight a visible enemy. In this case, we borrowed to fight an invisible enemy, but we don't wanna be reckless about it uh, in terms of when we look at it compared to what we did in the middle of a depression, which we didn't have this time. We had a recession, um, although it could have been a depression if not for Steven Mnuchin, by the way, all-star player and Larry, Kudlow and Nancy Pelosi, by the way, she got it done as well. Uh, so what they came to, to do in, in March and early April saved this from a long-term Great Depression. So hats off to that bipartisan cooperation in the crisis. And they did a massive plan, the most massive plan ever. So to keep doing that size plan over and over and over when we're out of the woods, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think cooler heads will prevail. So uh, the other good thing that came out of all these other announcements from the administration is that pre prescription drug price cuts set to be left out of the White House proposal. So that's now off the table, although the market is not really acknowledging that yet, and they will. So, And when will they acknowledge that? They're going to acknowledge that, for instance, Merck sold off like crazy today on earnings. They missed on top and bottom line. Why did they miss? Because doctor visits were were still dramatically impaired and two thirds of what they manufacture and produce can only be administered via a doctor visit. So it has to be doctor um, administered in person. 66% of the drugs that they make 
So of course their sales were down. But when you look at the back half of the year and people go back to their doctors, they stop worrying about COVID, they start worrying about cancer and heart, high blood pressure and uh, cholesterol and all the, the maintenance things that you have to do to stay healthy, those prescriptions are gonna go through the roof. And it's not just gonna be Merck, it's gonna be all these companies right now that are being handed to us on a silver platter uh, manna from heaven, and most people, like always, Wall Street is the only place when they hold a sale, no one shows up, and that's what's happening in, in Big Pharma, and we took advantage of it this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. Um, okay, one of the meme stocks is off to the races. Nokia earnings were surprisingly good. The stock is soaring. Look, this is a play. The new CEO, um, Pekka Lundmark, has, uh, was very successful in his past uh, careers and he's come over he's shaken the tree in Nokia huge 5g play behind Ericsson uh, this is great to see I think there's actually a great thesis here it was nice to see them finally beat it looks like it's finally coming out of a long-term slumber where you can get exposure to uh, a business that's going to be in enormous demand over the next five to ten years it's kind of an oligopoly business globally and now that they've got the right leader at the helm I think this uh, breakout is real I don't think this is a fake out I think this thing's gonna run Northrop Grumman, uh, in, in terms of defense stocks, they beat and, and raised guidance, so that's good. You're, you're seeing the defense stocks come out of their slumber. Uh, Royal Dutch Shell gain, raised the dividend, beat, uh, and uh, they're doing good. Chevron and Exxon. McDonald's revenue tops pre-pandemic levels fueled by the strong U.S. recovery. Yeah, that's helped, number one. Number two, 150,000 restaurants have gone out of business because the, the government shut them down. Uh, so... Uh, you know, by the way, if you're a good cook, th there's probably never been a better time in the history of the United States to start a new restaurant. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I love uh, Guy Fieri, uh, uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. When we travel, we try to hit all the spots that he's been to. Uh, and my eldest daughter loves to watch it with me. Uh, but uh, now's the time. So I think that as uh, certainly all of the big chains uh, will be in the driver's seat for the next few quarters. But as small bit as small businesses start to reopen, new restaurants start to reopen, they'll gain back share, and uh, and you can peel out of some of these that have had huge runs uh, in anticipation of that. Uh, okay, this is the big story on Apple. We talked about this actually the first time I was in Tampa, which was in December. And I, I did a segment for CGTN about the Digital Services Act in the EU, if you recall. Uh, and I said, this is going to be a big headwind because what they said in that, uh, this is the lady, uh, yeah, Mar Marguerite Vestigar. You'll remember the name. I covered it in December on the podcast video cast. Um, they're basically saying, you know, they're going after anti-monopolistic tendencies and uh, their penalty is up to 10% of revenues. And if you recall, I said, this is effectively just, you know, this is just a shakedown for money. When you cut through it all, it's like a huge honeypot. They want their piece. They don't have big tech in Europe. They want a piece of the action. In the last administration, they said, you're not taking money from our tech companies. If anyone's going to take money from them, it's going to be us. And that's why we started all the investigations at the Justice Department, et cetera. And, and, and that's that. 
I think with the new administration, these, you know, these groups, uh, the European commissioner is going to have more free reign to do what she wants. Uh, and we're seeing it starting today, which it didn't happen uh, for four years uh, otherwise. And her first huge target is now Apple. And this is a material claim that she's making that the agreements, the app developers have to pay 30% commission on all subscription fees that come to the app store. Uh, this, you know, this is very interesting because I think they have a very solid case. I mean, effectively, Apple says, because a lot of people use our phone, no matter what your business is, we get a 30% cut. It, it reminds me of like the mafia, you know, protection in the neighborhood. It's like, you know, <laughs> if you don't pay us a, por a portion of your top line, you're going to have problems. Uh, you know, you need our protection. It's like, wait, I never had any problems before you came in. Well, it's the same thing with the EU commission. They're saying you're going to have to pay us uh, and, and work this out. A and Apple is saying, hey, if you want access to you know, all of the, the customers around the world, you got to pay us for, for that access, which I think is kind of, you know, there should be another way that these companies should be, the the consumer should be able to go to their website and down, download an app, whether they have an Apple phone or a uh, Android phone. Um, even if they can't get it through the convenience of the app store, they should be able to go to a browser and download it to their phone. Uh, so if the EU is successful with this, this risks a material portion of the services business, which is the whole growth story moving forward. And uh, so obviously it's going to take years to fight this out. Apple has a tremendous uh, uh, reserve to fight it, legal reserves, but the case is pretty compelling. Uh, certainly if you're a developer, you agree with this. As a consumer, your cost of using most of these apps would go down if Apple wasn't the middleman. They provide no value add whatsoever. I mean, the, the app is developed. If, if you could get it off the website of the individual, like Spotify or whatever, what what benefit does, does what value add does Apple provide by just being the gatekeeper? Absolutely zero. So definitely those margins are going to compress, if not be entirely eliminated. And then the growth story is completely changed and i think that's why you're seeing this headwinds and i knew this was lurking in the background certainly we had the antitrust in the u.s and all the states that we've been talking about with big tech but you know that that was a lot of like theatrics you know come come for a hearing let's berate you we'll meet in another three months and we'll meet right before the election and yell at you and do nothing uh but Europe does not have that obligation to do nothing because they have no political interest in Apple. Apple, you know, so uh, we have to watch this because this is a pretty strong case. And I think that the market will start to discount the possibility of this. It'll apply some probability, which is the headwind, despite quote unquote perfect earnings. And the, the stock could drift down, I think, in anticipation of this. And until they get a new growth catalyst to displace this this huge material risk to the business which if ruled against them in europe you can be sure in the united states developers are going to be pushing to get parry pursue treatment and in asia so that whole services revenue becomes becomes an issue and as the stock sinks and then of course they'll come out with the big 
material car announcement and people start to look forward to that because that's a much bigger business and a whole operating system for the car and yada, 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 and people will forget about the phone and then the stock will go back up. But I think before then, this this is a big, big deal. And it was down a little bit today on this, but uh, I think this kind of starts to explain why after that January 27th peak, we've not hit new highs despite this continued quote unquote good news. And, um, and that's why I've been a little bit, you know, um, cautious on this one for, for some time. Okay, Goldman Sachs sees $80 oil this year. That's good news. From their lips to God's ears, I hope so. We've got plenty of uh, energy exposure from last year that's doing great. We'll talk a, a little bit about that as, uh, as we move forward. Here's another story. Uh, Apple's earnings were spectacular. Why its stock has dropped. Um, and they're not even mentioning the... Um, the real risk, which is the services risk. Sakanagi, who's a great analyst on this, said, will there be a trough on the other side as COVID-driven wallet share shift returns to normal? We think the answer is unequivocally yes. It's just hard to know when, how big that might be. We believe that iPad and Mac strength could persist for the next few quarters, but even if the work from home trend persists, we doubt the surge will rival this year's. So that was what I'd been talking about. The, a lot of demand was pulled forward in Q2 of last year with work from home and with uh, study from home, and that's going to go away. Also, you had huge stimulus checks in fourth quarter and first quarter uh, of this year. So that's done for now. Um, uh, so so he makes a salient case on that point, but the real risk, I think, is the risk to that 30% you know, protection fee, that mafia protection fee, adding zero value to the business and yet taking a huge cut uh, of the developer's action is just crazy. So uh, they're coming for it. Now, Apple versus Epic. So this is the U.S. version of that exact same antitrust lawsuit, which now the EU commission has said is valid. And this is just going to be the same version in the U.S. And if the EU does something about it, that's going to influence, probably create precedent for the U.S., uh, Exxon and Chevron surged back to profit. That was good to see. And we'll look at their what their stock looks like um, uh, in just a minute. Uh, this is from Ryan Dietrich. Personal savings back up to more than $6 trillion. There were stimulus checks, I believe, in the last four weeks. This is the second highest ever to the first stimulus check, which was in early uh, or mid-2020. It's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Uh, so certainly some of this will go into the stock market. A lot of it's going to go into the uh, marketplace into spending, uh, and that'll be a very positive thing. So it's good to see that number that was out today. And then this is from um, uh, Michael Hartnett over at Bank of America. He does the Global Fund Manager Survey, but he had a note out and he said, uh, cash sees largest weekly inflows since March 20th, uh, March of 2020. Now, if you remember March of 2020, that was the bottom um of the stock market cash funds attracted the largest inflows at 57.3 billion in the week through april 28th bonds drew 13.7 billion and equities received 10.5 billion investors are positioning for inflation and tapering right strategists led by michael hartnett also citing strong inflows into bank loans at 3.9 billion in the last four weeks bank loans are um uh, the interest rate adjusts, so people are are uh, getting ready for rates to go higher. So they want to be in instruments where uh, they don't lose half their principal as rates go up. Uh, and case for inflation building with asset price inflation now mutating into real estate, commodities, 
and CEAFE and emerging markets. So Europe and emerging market cyclicals offering inflation heads for equity investors. Inflows to European equities continued for a second week with 1.3 billion. Private client exposure stands at 64.3% stocks, 18.2 debt. 11.3% cash, which is high. That's, you know, there's a wall of worry narrative in that as well, that the higher it goes, the more it's going to force that in. Uh, we might be due for a breather here. We'll get into that in a little more detail. But again, since day one of this year, we've been saying, ignore the general indices, look for the rallies under the surface. And that's what we've done. That's our knitting. We've played the sector rotation. And we're going to delve into that in great detail moving forward. Um, Largest weekly outflow, largest weekly equity outflow since June 2019 on capital gains tax announcement. Okay, so that was a knee-jerk reaction, I think, from a lot of people, and institutions haven't moved any money on that basis because they're not at, at the effect. Some high net worth people, the, the biggest stocks that will uh, be impacted by the um, larger capital gains, which is not going to be 43%. Again, I think it'll be closer to 28 if that. Uh, and that's for, again, the top uh, three-tenths of 1%, um, which is about 500,000 households. It's about $178 billion. So it's not an enormous amount of households, but it does dramatically impact you know, venture capital, uh, people with options, um, you know, all these people that are working startups. It's huge. And, and, it, and it will really hurt investment into new businesses because people think about how it, it's so it's going to have widespread impact. That's the bad news. The good news is the number is not going to be 43. It's probably going to be in the 20s, if that. So that's good news. Uh, qu another quote from Benjamin Graham, in the short term, the market's a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. So let's take a look at some of the voting versus weighing. Uh, last week, we talked about starting to get exposure to, um, you know, last year, it was energy, banks, and uh, defense and aerospace, we pounded the table. Those have all done very nicely. Uh, eight weeks ago, it was utilities, um, staples, and big pharma. Those have had a great run. And then last week, we started with uh, very selectively lower conviction. So we're doing a wider basket, some Chinese stocks that have been bitten, uh, beaten down, and then busted SPACs. What do I mean by that? It's largely, certainly some SPACs that have not announced a deal that have really good jockeys. We're betting on the jockey, um, like uh, really established people in their businesses like Terry Pegula. He owns the uh, Buffalo Sabres. He's made, uh, he's become a billionaire in the oil patch and he's done it through cycles where when no one wants it, he buys beaten down assets and then he flips them five years later to, to the big companies and that's how he made his billions. So he's got a SPAC that he's out in the market uh, looking to buy energy assets. That's the guy I want to bet on because I think we're at the early stages of a commodity cycle three to five years, and a guy like that uh, will find a good asset and it will be a good thing. So something like ERESU, uh, -E we talked about these facts, so it had a, it had a nice, uh, decent move this week. I think this one did. Um, yeah, so it's starting to move, but you know it had been basing here. This is what we call a busted SPAC. It, it, all these SPACs were hot on hype, and now they've all crashed, and that's when we get interested. We don't get involved 
when everyone's excited and everyone's clamoring for things. We get involved when there's value and it's left for dead and we see opportunity and it's a good business or a good jockey or ideally both. And in this case, it's our way to get long dated exposure, which we covered a lot last week. In, uh, and we like these uh, long dated warrants uh, because you can get exposure to some of these for a buck, a couple bucks for five to six years. And uh, you'll get the benefit of an announcement if they haven't done an announcement. And then with some of these that have done an announcement that have spiked up on the announcement and now rolled over. Why have they rolled over? Because you're in an information vacuum. They either haven't changed the ticker yet from the SPAC ticker to the new co-ticker, so no one knows, uh, or they, um, we did this with DraftKings, by the way. I think it was, um, you know, it was some weird ticker. No one was paying attention. It was announced, not this year, it was the year before, around Christmas time. No one was paying attention. They announced DraftKings. No one was paying attention. Uh, you could get the warrants. The warrants wound up being like a 20x uh, and probably more. We sold early, but, you know, bulls, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. The moral of the story is I think there are a lot of those opportunities again. So we're buying a huge basket because the, you know, more than 50% will fail, but the ones that work are 5x, 10x, 20x over the next one to five years. And um, it's. It, it, and because the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater, these SPACs uh, and SPAC warrants in particular, everyone's just dumping them. And I love that. So it shows, you know, where we are. And, uh, you know, so you can just see some of these. Uh, we've, we've done a, a really big basket, PAE, FTCV, ACIC, OUST. This one started to rip this week. Um, PAE started to get a bid this week. DMS started to get a bid this week. SNPR, not a bid yet, but we, we bought that. FOA, we bought this week. It's ripped higher. So that's exciting to see. That's uh, Finance of America. They've got a really interesting story if you Google it. Um, LSEA, Land and Sea, they're a home developer. Why wouldn't you want a developer? There's no supply in the market. And uh, you can see what these guys do. They're, they're, their warrants are a little strange. It's like a 10 for one. You might want to just buy the stock if you're interested. Uh, again, this is not, you know, an 80-year-old woman should not be buying SPAC warrants. So, again, I deal with accredited investors. This is not investment advice. This is opinion. Talk with your financial advisor. Do your own due diligence. But I'm just telling you, you know, the things that we're looking at and the things that we're doing and why, we're, how we're thinking about it and uh, for informational and entertainment purposes only. Uh, okay, so this is uh, Terry Pegula's uh, SPAC here. And then uh, UWMC, look, this is a huge mortgage business. Um, uh, I wanna be in this business for the next five years, hands down. This demand is not going away. We need supply from the home builders. We need um, uh, financing providers. That's why we love love Wells Fargo. Now it's become such a large position in our portfolio um, from appreciation. But this is another story, UWMC, that you can get long-dated exposure. And as this thing develops and as they continue to report growing earnings, I think the stock is trading at like six, seven or eight times. I haven't looked at it in a, a little bit, but... Um, this business is only going to grow. Obviously, it's competing with Rocket. There's a lot of competition, but there's going to be demand like we haven't seen in more than a decade. It's already showing up. And as the home builders put on supply, that demand's going to get bigger and bigger. 
and uh, and that's exciting. And then some clean energy things. Who knows what'll work? Here's Fisker. They've been around forever, doing uh, private placements. You know, burning through cash. But you know, if the government's going to subsidize it with 178 billion dollars and put all these charging stations on, at least the narrative will play. Whether the businesses ultimately work, you know, I you know that's that's just uh, who knows. But you know, the businesses could work for a long time as that narrative plays out and you want to have some exposure. And if you can do so without putting a lot of capital out with getting long dated warrants when they're beat down and no one's paying attention to them, that's an opportunity of a lifetime. In my view, when you buy a basket and you do it in, in manageable and uh, prudent size. Uh, second thing we talked about between besides SPAC warrants and clean energy was that some high quality China stocks have really been beaten down in the last uh, two months. And we love that. You know, when, when the market sells things off 20 to 40, 50 percent and the underlying business economics are still growing, uh, we want to get involved. So if the business is impaired and earnings have fallen off uh, and revenues are declining or slowing, we're not interested. Some things are cheap for a reason. But when it's done because of a, a, a narrative that the Chinese government's cracking down, and they are cracking down, but I think that's more than priced in with some of these stocks down over 50% in two months with growing earnings, growing revenue. So if so, what if they don't grow 40% a year? What if they only grow 15 or 20% a year? Uh, these are tremendous opportunity. You know, in China, it's always the Tesla of China, the Netflix of China, the Amazon of China. So, uh, you know, all of these are the XYZ of China and we want to have exposure to them. We got just a huge basket because, again, we don't have high conviction on any single one. You know, you could get a delisting of one, but the basket as a whole should be materially higher uh, next year, even if a few don't work. Uh, we got Baba, Douyu, Huya, IQ, Las Vegas Sands is now a pure play Asia. They sold off their U.S. assets, and Melco Crown is a uh, is a pure play Asia casino and resort. So we like this story as the vaccinations accelerate in China, and as that gets opened up, they've opened up the uh, they opened up a lot of the uh, uh, travel restrictions in uh, the end of last uh, fourth quarter and first quarter. So people are starting to now get to Macau, and that's going to be a, a huge cash cow pent up demand. Now, uh, the eight weeks ago, if you recall, the utilities, they just took off like a bat out of hell after um, we put out the article last week of February, first week of March. Uh, they've all just gone straight up. And then in the last week, they took a breather and we were saying this is an opportunity to buy. We think they've got another leg in them. And, you know, we'll see if this follows through. But the last two days, that's proven to be the case. Uh, they're now getting bids. So we had this monster move. Uh, weak consolidation, and now it looks like it wants to resume that trend. And our favorite two, our biggest holdings in the space, Dominion, which we've been talking about for eight weeks publicly and on the podcast, uh, and where's the other Dominion and AEP. So huge moves. One week consolidation, now it looks like it wants to make the next left, same with Dominion, but they're all making a similar pattern and there's a lot of good quality stuff here. So um, we're excited to see how that plays. And why that's also important, the utilities, staples and pharma is they're defensive. So if we do come across some chop, some headwinds and all that stuff, these are gonna outperform because that's where institutional money goes to hide. Um, okay, the next group of defenses is um, Consumer staples. So we're looking at the household and personal care products. This is manna from heaven. Uh, these sell-offs 
um, like you saw Kimberly Clark because people stopped using, they bought every piece of toilet paper under the sun. So year on year, their sales were down. We use this opportunity to top up big this week on Kimberly Clark. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. In our view, I, this is let, let's not let's clarify that. Wells Fargo was an opportunity of a lifetime last year. That we said that's turned out to be true. This is a great opportunity. It's not an opportunity of a lifetime. It's a great opportunity. And uh, I think Clorox, by the way, today, I think that's going to prove to play out uh, nicely as well. I think that's kind of interesting moving forward. Colgate actually beat. So they you know, had their huge run, consolidated for two weeks, and now they seem to be back on the way up. Uh, same with a lot of these. They had, Procter & Gamble had two-week consolidation. Now, now it seems to be on the way back up. Kimberly Clark, I think that's a unique situation. You got a second bite at the apple, and, uh, and we took it. Um, okay, what is this? This is utilities again. Okay, so that's not what we want. Let's just see here. Uh, okay, so that's drugs. Okay, we want drugs. We want uh, pharma, big pharma. Okay, so let's get that. All right, good. So, um, Merck, we covered this, by the way. And this, this group has been the laggard group in the utility staples and uh, big pharma. I think this is a huge opportunity. These are all trading at certainly below market multiples. Most of them around 10 to 12 times. Some of them even in single digits. Uh, Pfizer has had a great run since that March low from 33 to got up to close to 40. Now it's pulled back for a couple of days and I think it started to resume today. So yeah, again, there, from... 33 up to 39 and a half in a, in six weeks and then it pulled back consolidated and now it seems like it wants to make another move higher um i think merck is going to be another opportunity to get exposure there biogen again you see these since last year if you look out at the longer dated chart there's still huge opportunity GlaxoSmithKline, by the way the one that elliot took a multi-billion dollar stake in as an activist that's going to be an opportunity. Gilead today was down on earnings, huge in the morning. We took that opportunity to get exposure uh, longer dated, and uh, we think that's going to be a decent play. Their HIV has some headwinds, but they have so many different partnerships, uh, cash and other opportunities going on. Plus, their remdesivir is doing well. That's probably going to sell a ton in India with the case spikes. A lot of good things happening here. And then uh, Novartis is our favorite, by the way, and this thing was weak. I think this is an opportunity for some time. We've covered it a lot in recent weeks on the um, uh, on the podcast and on TV. And if you take a look at the long-dated uh, chart of Novartis, besides the fact that it trades at a historic multiple of 22 times, it's now trading at 12 times. You get a dividend yield two and a half times the 10-year yield. You've got a great pipeline. You've got two blockbuster drugs that as soon as the uh, second half patient visits go normalize, these prescriptions are going to go through the roof. Market's going to start to sniff that out. But look, you've had a five-year, six-year consolidation in this stock. It's basically gone sideways. The last time you had that was from 2007 to 2012, and then it just took off like a bat out of hell. You had it again in the early 2000s, a five-year consolidation, and then it just took off. So in this case, it nearly doubled over the next few years. In this case, 40 to 77, so nearly doubled over the next couple of years.
shares. And it just looks like it's breaking out here. And I think this stock, I don't know about double, but I don't think that uh, 140 or 150 is, is out of the question. I think this is an incredible opportunity and you're paid to wait. And that's why we got more exposure this week on the on the weakness. We love this group and we love this stock. So um, so that's what we're doing. Again, you know, do your own due diligence, talk with your own financial advisor. Uh, but we're just telling you how we're thinking about things. Here are some of the generics. VTRS, by the way, Viatris. This stock has been in the doghouse. This is the old Mylan. They've got the EpiPin. I know there was a problem of pricing with that. They've got a generic business. All the generics have been in the tank. I think they're going to come back in demand. you got to have a longer-term view. Just buy the stock. Don't buy, any, uh, don't buy uh, as much you know, premium because you got to get the timing right. But I think as you look three, four years out, some of these are going to be doubles, triples, quadruples. Teva is starting to get a bid. VTRS. Takata is the Japanese version. I think there's some value in these groups in the generics. But certainly the brand names, the big pharma, we have huge exposure. Uh, we have exposure to uh, Pfizer. Pfizer and Novartis are two biggest. And we've started to use weakness to add some of these others that are great opportunities. And... Um, uh, we'll continue to do so. Um, okay, so moving along, and again, just to take a look at that Novartis again, I mean, this is just, uh, you know, this is a work of art. I, sh I should make it an NFT and sell it for $100 million or whatever they're doing with these crazy... Okay, so nonetheless, um, all right, moving along to... Our other groups, uh, what is this? This is energy, so just an update on energy. You know, if you look at these refiners, they, they're, um, they're up huge since November. They've consolidated the last few weeks, and it looks like they're ready to go again. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, same thing, Petrobras. You've got BP. They're all reporting great earnings. Valero. Um, uh, Royal Dutch Shell reported great earnings. So again, they've had these huge moves, uh, basically what, 22 to 44. So they went up like 100% in six months. They've consolidated for a few weeks, waiting to make the next leg higher. Uh, as you can see, let me just put this out on a monthly basis. These things are really just getting going for the most part. Um, what else are we looking for? So BP, same type, same story, beat. Suncor. I mean, these are all high quality names. Um, Occidental, ExxonMobil and Chevron beat today. These are just getting started. Schlumberger, the best servicer in, in the area. They're just getting started. So, so there's still tremendous opportunity, despite the fact that many are up, you know, 80, 100, 125%. They still have a long way to go in our view. Uh, Banks. Banks have been monsters, um, but they look like they have some more bid to them here as that 10-year creeps back up. Uh, as I said, the other last week, I think it was, the commercials were buying, but not in a not in a size that I, I thought represented a real bottom. I thought it was an intermediate-term counter-trend rally, which has so far shown to be the case uh the 10-year ticked back up from 150 to 165 and banks have been the beneficiary wells fargo with being the big, biggest beneficiary in the last week or so uh city looks like it's consolidating here for next leg higher uh what is a bank of america actually broke out here 
So again, the, these, there's just so much opportunity under the surface. And then uh, Northrop Grumman, it wasn't too long ago I was saying there's still opportunity here. Get involved. Lockheed Martin, they were down in this area at the beginning of the year. We were pounding the table on these. Raytheon's now breaking out here. Boeing, I think this is an opportunity. This short-term consolidation investigation, you know, at, at some point, you know, when you have 100 investigations, people start to tune it out. When the stock, stock stops going down on bad news, you've got to get exposure. So I think this is going to be an opportunity and uh and some areas but look at look at general dynamics this thing was in the doghouse we were pounding the table no one wanted it now that it's up here people are starting to get interested so uh, you know that's just the way it works and um i love this game it this game is it, it's not a game but i mean this is the greatest business in the world i mean it, it's like a treasure hunt every single day of the year so anyway moving along chuck berry's riding along stock market <laughs> the reason i chose this song is because if you look at the last uh, two or three weeks the market has basically been going sideways it's like watching paint dry and his uh lyrics were cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go uh that's that's what it certainly felt like i think that's probably going to change we'll see how that shakes out uh, covered the um, show with Nicole already, and then uh, and then we talked about what happened after the last perfect earnings report with Apple on January 27th, and the sell-off afterwards, which we had uh, spoken about, and um, uh, and then here we are. I think we traded down to like 131 after these perfect earnings. So it seems to be repeating that perfect earnings and then sell-off, and we've gone through the key reason is not that the STEMI checks are running out. That's part of it. It's if that service revenue gets impaired, their whole growth story is toast, So, um, which means they're a great business and going to be around forever and going to continue to grow, but not at the same rate, which means the multiple, which is seven turns above their 10-year average, is going to normalize and come down to where their growth level will be if those service revenues, which was the growth story, gets impaired until they get a new growth story, which will be the car. But you can't just say we're talking to Hyundai and thinking everyone's going to believe the story. You actually have to have a signed up deal and a real plan to spend $200 billion to make it happen, which uh, which they will have. I just don't, I, you know, you, they're, they're five years late. So when they do it, they're going to try to do it right. Hopefully it won't be another Apple TV debacle. Uh, but they can't afford to have that, so I think they, they'll be fine. You know, they didn't create the first smartphone, by the way. There were um, tablets in the 90s that you could touch pads and everything else, so there were plenty of people that came out before them. They just got it right. They think that they can do that with the car. That's fine. The question is, where will the stock be when they finally do make that announcement? And that might be one of the greatest generational opportunities to buy Apple if it does trade down material over the next few months on this digital services and on this major threat to its business model, in our view. Uh, okay, so uh, now we talked about what will happen next. It's hard to say for Apple, but for the NASDAQ with Facebook, Google, Microsoft, all showing secular strength, there may be some gas in the tank, whether Apple participates or not. And we talked to, you know, we pointed to a couple of these indicators. We looked bullish percent composite, you know, it's not elevated. It's certainly higher than average, but this is not the level that things necessarily roll over from. This is the level that you start to worry about. And that's where we did see those big 20% corrections and some stocks were down 40 plus percent some of the SaaS stocks etc some of the new IPOs are have gotten pounded so that's kind of in the question is is there another leg lower here I, I I don't I don't know I mean Apple 
I think is going to be a headwind, but it was for since August effectively. It's it's not done a lot. So um, I think the market can do fine. I think the Nasdaq can do fine. I think some of these beaten down SaaS stocks can start to get a bid, and that'll probably keep this normalized without you know collapsing and maybe even take a leg higher here. That, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, same thing with the McClellan summation for the NASDAQ. Again, it's closer to where you have an inflection upward versus where you roll over. Um, okay, we took our own advice on April 8th, added some selected tech stock in recent days and weeks. Here's what we said. We'll look for very selective opportunities in tech and SaaS, particularly in stocks that have fallen 20 to 40% in the last few weeks and be less impacted by tough comps for Q1 and Q2. This is not a wholesale call on tech as we believe certain pockets will continue to face headwinds. And then, um, you know, we talked about utility staples and, uh, and banks and energy. And then here's energy, by the way. Banks and energy, to, oh, so the reason we requoted this is because um, we said, on April 8th, we continue to hold banks, energy, and defense stocks uh, from much lower levels last year and would not be surprised if they continue to take a breather before resuming their uptrend and new highs later this year. Well, that's exactly what happened. We did get the breather in energy and banks uh, for sideways and down in the case of energy. And now it looks like they are in fact inflecting and maybe they could make a run, new, a run to new highs here, we'll, we'll see. But this shows us that they're not overbought, that's for sure. Question is, are they gonna stabilize here? And the answer usually is after such a dislocation, the answer is yes, we'll see. If you're listening to the podcast, you're gonna get cut off in 52 seconds. Just go to hedgefundtips.com. Uh, it'll be the first or second post. The video cast is a YouTube video. Fast forward to minute 60. That will pick up word for word exactly where you left off and you'll be able to catch the last 10 or 15 minutes. We've got a lot of good stuff, detailed stuff to go into. You definitely want to tune in for that. And then you may want to go back and look at some of the charts that we just covered on a sector by sector basis just to put a visual to the audio that you just listened to. Because um, there is so much going on right now that we do try to integrate the visual so you can you know process it two different ways uh okay so the other aspect uh okay so we acknowledge utility staples and big pharma had a hiccup in the past week or so we showed that consolidation on the charts just now we took the opportunity to top up some staples